help your child as much as possible. Don't have an expectation that they're going to do this independently the first, second, or third time. Maybe you're going to just do it together with them for a year. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Episode 350, Andrew. I know what that means. Tell me. It means we've been doing this a very long time. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> but it also means we're on the 10, multiple of 10. So this would be an Ask Andrew Anything. It's exactly right. Good. I hope you have some excellent questions or even some mediocre ones. I can I can work with that. I believe I have some excellent questions from teachers and parents. All right. But I was also thinking episode 350, we're halfway to a century because every 100th episode, we try to do something really special. Like we did a, a radio drama kind of feel on our 100th episode. Oh. We did a live in the studio with Structure and Style for student, Students uh -huh. asking their parents and their students asking questions of you. So I don't know what we'll do with episode 400. Well, you've got, I don't know, 49 weeks to figure that out. Right? This is true. This is true. <laughs> but I do have some ideas and it involves our listeners. So stay tuned for an exciting 400th episode, probably a year from now. <laughs> a live call-in show? We could That's do that. That's kind of what I was thinking, actually. That's funny that you actually thought of that as well. All right. You ready to jump right in? Absolutely. Okay, our first question then is from Christina, and she asks a very general question that we have been asked so many times that we've addressed, devoted whole podcast to, and that is the question of dyslexia. Do we have any resources for dyslexia and other alternative ways of learning with an unofficial, undiagnosed learning challenge? Well, it's the same answer, and that is usually most of the time. Almost all the time, our writing and grammar stuff works very, very well for kids who have any kind of challenge, dyslexia, dysgraphia, auditory processing, ADD, ADHD. You know, obviously, it's all on a spectrum. Undiagnosed uh, means that, you know, the parent has a strong suspicion. And I recall Susan Barton in one of our podcast interviews, she said, if you think your child is dyslexic, he probably is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the case of what's different is, well, number one, you just take everything slower, break it into very small, manageable pieces. Part of what exacerbates the vision problem is the feeling of overwhelm mm -hmm. that happens when, uh, you know, a child just can't process that much visual information and all those steps that are required for writing at one time. So, you know, that's, you know, that's the 
20-second elevator thing when someone says, what's different about IEW? My answer is we take a very complex process and break it into much smaller, more manageable, doable steps. So that's one reason why our writing program, I think, is very ideal, if Mm -hmm. you will. And, of course, we have testimonies, hundreds, thousands of families who said, this is the first thing that I've been able to get this child to really write anything at all. You know, a second guideline would be be sure that whatever the child is looking at is large as possible in terms of font size. You know, one thing I know we attended to carefully in the fix-it was keeping the font size perhaps larger than one might normally provide in a grammar program. Why? Well, because, you know, with my background and my experience, I know that kids who have visual issues at all, everything is easier if you just bump the font size up yep. four, six, eight, ten points. So yep. uh, we've done that. And plenty of white space. I mean, mm-hmm. we've we've actually argued about that a little bit, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yes, we have. Um, why Why is there so much wasted paper here? But what we do know is that space enables people to see things better. And if they have a challenge with the the printed material, then larger and more space always makes it better. Yep. And if it isn't big enough, guess what? Get yourself a enlarging copy printer multi-function thing and make it as big as you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, the third thing I think is... I guess this is kind of overall for all kids with any kind of learning challenges, but our system is not as stressful. It breaks things into smaller pieces, but, you know, there's no right or wrong. There's no tension, really. It's just a process, and you're going through it, and you go through it again and again and again, and every time it gets a little more familiar. And one of my mantras that I repeat often to parents who ask questions of this nature is, Don't be afraid. Help your child as much as possible. Don't have an expectation that they're going to do this independently the first, second, or third time. Maybe you're going to just do it together with them for a year. Right. And that's okay because it's not a race. You're not ahead or behind of anyone else. The idea is you're making progress in comparison to yourself and – and then just being patient. Most kids that, you know, I, you know, I would put my son as kind of the the super typical, couldn't read anything till he was almost 11 years old, didn't read a book until he was 12 years old. But by 14 and 15, he was reading and writing everything, you know, difficulties perhaps with spelling in particular. But in terms of the catch-up factor, if you load in a lot of audiobooks and do, you know, memorization of poetry and other beautiful language, you're furnishing the mind. And then when the eyes kind of, eyes and brain start to just click in with maturity, which very often happens, you know, around puberty, kids will get that willpower, that kind of burst of force in their Mm -hmm. soul, and they can exercise that will over neurology and do things they couldn't previously do, then all that rich language storage is readily available. So, um, you know, the the last thing was just don't have anxiety about it. Right. And and don't compare children based on age. Right. And I think we have a, a whole 
string of pages, links that will provide more and more resources for this and other listeners with kids who are dyslexic, mildly dyslexic, maybe dyslexic, or not really sure. There's something going on there. They need some extra help. And maybe it's not extra help. I, I think about the students that you taught in Structure and Style for Students, especially year one, level A. We had a handful of kids who really had some learning challenges and oftentimes they were sitting in the front row and they could see that board that you were writing on and the kids that didn't need help, they were off making their own keyword outline and you said, hey, you, you know, Josh or, you know, the kids that were having some challenges, you help me with this. And so we had you showing all the kids at home and the kids in the class, how to do a keyword outline. But some of the kids that didn't need that much help, they did it on their own. So, right. And kids reach that level of, I want to do this independently mm-hmm. at different speeds. So right. the idea is, okay, if they're ready, let them. But right. if they're not, don't force it. Just do it together one more time. Do it together one more time. Right. And you said another thing that I think is really important just to reemphasize is there's a lot of flexibility here. And in our all of our teacher's guides that go with the theme-based books and with the Structure and Style for Students, there are suggested keywords in the keyword outline, but they are truly suggestions. It's almost like we almost don't want to put them there because it makes it look like it's the answer key. Yeah, I absolutely don't want to put them there, but <laughs> I have been convinced as to why it can be helpful. But we do have to remind everyone This isn't right or wrong, yes or no, fill in the blank, you got it or you didn't. No, there's a hundred ways or more to do every keyword outline. And so just doing it together is the way kids learn stuff. And you can go to, you know, anything, playing music, cooking, dance. How do you learn stuff? You do it with someone until you say, hey, I think I could do this myself. Exactly. And you know what? I'm kind of previewing the next question. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've already answered it, but I'm going to just say it for Rachel's sake because everybody wants their question answered, right? And we can just say ditto. Ditto, right. So Rachel asks, my third grade son struggles tremendously with getting ideas from his head out onto paper. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking third grade. Well, son, okay. Writing completely on his own requires a tremendous battle and results in a great deal of frustration on his part, as well as oversimplified sentences relative to what he composes orally. He's not a great speller, but he hates to get things wrong. I'm thinking about Andrew's comment that you cannot help a student too much. So Rachel's been listening. Good job, Rachel. I allow him to dictate his rough draft to me while I record it on a whiteboard. He then copies it down, edits, and completes a final copy. Here's the actual question. Do you have any other recommendations for how I can help scaffold his instruction? Well, it sounds like she's doing everything correctly. And yes, I mean, when she started that question and said he has a hard time getting thoughts from his head onto paper, you know, I would go back to my analysis of what's required for writing. An idea must pre-exist. It can in, it can pre-exist in the memory or imagination, or it can pre-exist immediately, like outside memory and imagination right here, right now. That's easier. It's easier to look at something that's right here, right now, and say something about it than it is to think of something 
that's less abstract or that's less concrete, and then say something about it. So we start with immediate. So here's the source text. You know, here's the. You know, in case of Unit Five, here's the pictures. You know, here's the story you're dealing with. You know, the second thing is something can pre-exist in words or pre-exist in sensory impressions, and I like to use the example of a child writing about their dog. Right? Children love their pets, and they experience them in this kind of visceral, emotional, non-verbal way. And to take the complexity of human experience there and put that into words, well, number one, you have to have a pretty good vocabulary to do it, and a lot of young children just don't yet have all that many words to use. And then the second thing you have to do is you have to have a process. So、uh, that's why you know our system starts with immediate things that pre-exist in words. And so you build the pathway that way. So sounds like she's doing that, but you know her her secret desire is that he would just decide that he wants to do this and can do it and just take off, and she doesn't have to go through this with him anymore. But eight years old, especially for a boy, is that's exactly what I'm thinking. Andrew, really young. I'm a boy mom, and、yeah. and I know that sometimes it just takes longer with boys, and、it、that's、does. okay. I, I will say that I have observed with many children, my grandchildren in particular, that doing just straight copy work, yep, just you know copying some Bible verses or copying a couple stanzas of a poem or copying a paragraph of a short story or something. And just doing that、yep. every day, it's kind of like doing your exercises.、Yep. You know, if if you want to run a three mile race, you need to build up to that. If if you want to be able to do something that requires a lot of internal musculature, you can't just go from almost nothing to that.、Yep. So the best way to train the muscles of The eye and the hand and the brain and the body and the spelling and the confidence is just straight copy work. Just get on the treadmill, basically. So, you know, I would say don't be afraid to continue just doing, you know, maybe fifty to a hundred words a day, whatever you can fit in a reasonable, maybe fifteen minute period of time, and just do that. And don't worry if other people say. Why are you doing that? Or that's not a good idea. That's not what they do in third grade in schools. It may be what they should be doing right, in third、right. grade in schools. But I've just seen again and again you build up a critical mass、mm-hmm. of experience and confidence and competence in just putting words on paper and attending to the details of that,、yep. and then you break through into where it's like, oh, okay, I can. I can copy this idea from my brain just as easily as I can copy it from this other piece of paper. Well, and I want to speak to that. And I'm just thinking, Rachel has a whiteboard, and an eight-year-old might have a real hard time translating the words from the whiteboard onto paper. What if she just did the keyword outline on a piece? No, of paper? I'd stick with the whiteboard. Okay. And for most kids, that's going to be easier. Okay. Because when they look up and it's farther away from. Where they are, and it's a lot bigger. It's it's a relaxing thing for the eyes.、Mm-hmm. So when you have two pieces of paper right next to each other, that's a, a narrower, more stressful 
uh, thing to have to concentrate on. So that being able to look up, look down, look up, right. look down. Uh, there's all sorts of science actually mm. to show that when you frequently adjust your eyes to different distances, mm. they don't get as tired. Oh, interesting. That's why when you're sitting at your desk looking at your screen for too long, you get tired. And that's why they say, you know, look out the window, look across the room, look at something farther away. And then it kind of gives you a break and then you come back to it. So I think she's doing everything well. And again, you know, same same little answer as the previous person. Don't have anxiety. Don't be stressed. This is a very young age, especially for a boy. And, you know, in a couple of years, you won't even remember you had this problem. Great. Again, I'm previewing the next question. Oh. I kind of feel like there's a theme going on okay. here today. Well, you're supposed to have previewed all the questions, aren't well, you? Well, I, I do, but I just love how this is flowing here. Mary has an adoptive daughter that is just not putting sentences together well. They don't make sense. They are missing parts of speech and don't flow with other sentences. We've done keyword outline many times with a simple paragraph, but she really struggles to take the outline and form a sentence. I don't think we can move forward because keyword outlines are not easy, let alone dress-ups. Can one spend too long on keyword outlines? How do I help her? She's 11. Well, here we would probably think that there's a second language issue. Mm. A lot mm. of times uh, adopted children, you know, they they did not grow up with English as their first language. Or if they did, they grew up at least for a few years in an environment where the language was not of a higher quality. Or there's a serious auditory processing issue, and it's a neurological condition. Mm-hmm. And it almost doesn't matter which of those are the cause, but it's usually nice to try to figure out right. why is this a problem. The solution, uh, you know, I think we go back to basics. Number one, more reading out loud and memorized language. The, I, I can't – the more and more stories I hear – and the ones I remember from my own kids and the ones I see with my grandkids, the more you've got memorized, the more likely you are to speak in reliably correct and appropriately sophisticated English. So uh, that now that may be hard for this child, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Sometimes things that are harder actually have greater value in terms of you know, brain growth and mm-hmm. even the development of concentration and willpower. So, you know, I would I would definitely focus on the input side mm-hmm. of language. So the listening and speaking part of the equation, hearing good language and reciting memorized good language. The you know, the second thing would be follow the guideline that the source texts are at or below mm-hmm. the reading level. When you have an 11-year-old, you tend to automatically think, uh-oh, must be sixth grade or something. Uh-oh, I better have a reading book that looks like it or a source text that looks like it's written for mm-hmm. a child this age. Right. Whereas really, they would do so much better dropping down the complexity right. level. So a lot of times people will say, oh, I have a middle schooler, they'll buy a level B book, but okay, there's learning issues, there's challenges, there's lack of experience, you know, all whatever. 
And and we would say, no, there's no no harm in dropping down to a level A book where the source texts are just written with some shorter sentences, a little lower level of vocabulary. It's better to err on the side of a source text being too easy. Yep. So that'd be this the second one. And then the third one is just do it together. You know, if if a child is you know, you think about young children and they say something to you and it's grammatically not norm. Can't quite think of an exact example that I've heard recently from a grandchild, but you know how they'll say something like, um, my my three-year-old grandchild, she's four, she's four now. She said, well, it's gooder, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, that is a perfectly logical thing for a child to say, right? Because you got big and bigger and small and smaller, so why not good and gooder? It's just an anomaly in the language. Well, what do we naturally do? We naturally restate what they said. Oh, you mean it's better? Mm-hmm. And then the child will repeat, yeah, better. Mm-hmm. And that's how they learn. Right. That's how they learn that we use better instead of gooder. And of course, you take off the er and you go bet. And so now, you know, you're in the world <laughs> of, you know, risk and gambling. But so, you know, that idea carries over into writing. That's why when a child writes something, if it's not a complete sentence, it doesn't really help to like lecture them on what a complete sentence is. I would say just put in the missing word or change the ending or mm-hmm. cross the thing out that doesn't work and replace it with something that does and say, here, I've edited this. Now you can copy it over. And then the child has almost kind of a meditative, reflective experience as they copy it over. They are semi or even unconsciously noting this is what I wrote, but this is what is more correct. And then they they get those little bits of information that build the database of grammar and syntax. Right. So, you know, I think just a very gentle approach. Mm -hmm. And again, just realizing that even though the child is, you know, pushing the teenage zone, uh, it's certainly okay to do simpler things as if that child were a, cu- a couple years younger as well. So, Andrew, you've mentioned a couple times the importance of memorized language, and I would be remiss if I did not mention our Linguistic Development Through Poetry memorization course. And this is just a really gentle, easy way for all of you, Christina, Rachel, and Mary, to have your children learn poetry in a fun, easy way. And that memorization of poetry will help their writing be more easy, more fluent. I also think of Mary, she probably, you know, this keyword outline, when do I stop doing keyword outline? I think what she really means is when do I move on from unit two to unit three, but you'll still be doing keyword outline. And I think sometimes we forget that telling back verbally the keyword outline before we put it on paper. And that's a great place for Mary to do that type of correction that you were describing with your granddaughter. Right. And unit three is generally a longer Mm -hmm. keyword outline because we're looking at three paragraphs worth of content. Right. And the process is, uh, you know, definitely a bit more abstract. But if you follow the guideline, just do it together. Right. You know, maybe you as the mom are figuring out 90% of what needs to go in that outline. Okay, that's fine. You're modeling and that's a first step. And over time, over the years, that will get easier. 
but um, you know, break the longer thing into shorter chunks. Yep. And that's also another thing I think we get an over expectation of kids as they hit 11 or 12. Like they should be able to do more mm-hmm. in 20 minutes or mm-hmm. one setting or at right. a time or however you label that. And yet, you know, they're getting exhausted. Mm-hmm. And we all know as adults that when we get really tired, our effectiveness yes. decreases, whatever we're doing. Yes. Whatever we're doing. And so. You know, we we hope our children, you know, grow their attention span and are able to do more and can sit still and focus for a longer period of time. But that's a gradual process, and it changes from day to day. Yep. And you know, there's so many factors too, like how's exercise and blood flow to the brain going, and what'd you eat for breakfast, and mm-hmm. so um, we're we're gonna do some podcasts on, you know, how. Things like exercise and nutrition really affect right. vision and hearing and brain function and concentration and manual dexterity. Yep. You know, all of those things. So, you know, there's so many factors there. But, you know, the bottom line is always try to guard yourself against anxiety. In fact, I think there's something in the Bible about that. Yeah. Do not be anxious. Be anxious for <laughs> nothing. That's right. Great. So I hope that was helpful, Mary. And, you know, the other thing that she mentions, I just wanted to point out is this idea of she struggles with dress ups as well. And the checklists that we include, the dress ups that we include, there's no rule that says follow the curriculum and get through all six dress ups and all six sentences. No. Right. You can just camp out with LY word. Right. Just stay there as long as you need to. And, and, and there's no rush. There's no race. You, yep. got, you still got, you know, a child's 11, 12 years old. You've still got plenty of plenty time. Plenty of time, Mary. Good. Yeah. So Lisa, who has a high school question now, she says, I've been successfully using IEW for about eight years with three of my own children. One of my high school age students has never enjoyed the process of writing. And now that he's in the 11th grade, Dun, dun, dun. She's feeling that pressure, right? Right. Is losing all motivation for things he doesn't care for. Writing being at the top of that list. Forts are no longer the things he would rather be doing. Any suggestions for motivating older students? Well, you, know, you think of 11th grade, someone 16 or 17. Historically, they're an adult, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, this idea of high school really has only existed for about 100 years as a mandatory stage of development. You know, I think one thing that we would do better as a whole society is just put teenagers to work, <laughs> right? Make them work harder and maybe in a physical job. And maybe their appreciation for education would increase. So, you know, if someone said to me, you know, my kid wants to stop doing school and start doing work. I don't care what it is. I'd I'd say great. You know, they could always come back and do an education thing later. But you know, we we can't actually externally motivate kids that age. I I can't cheerlead a seventeen year old into wanting to do something. And I wouldn't even try. It's it's not worth it. It's it's you're not going to be successful. Everybody's going to be frustrated. 
you know, there are ways to motivate older kids to do things they don't want to do, but they have to say, what's in it for me? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, flat out baseline, I'll pay you $100 to write a five-page essay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that would motivate most 16-year-olds, although it might violate some parents' <laughs> kind of principle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, a lot of people don't like writing. I don't like writing. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard. It takes time. You have to think really hard. You have to not do something else and devote the time. And a 16, 17-year-old boy, they're just not – they don't believe it when you say you should learn this because it will help you later in life. Mm-hmm. They just don't believe it. What helps them is what helps them right now. So you've got to try to figure out what does this kid want and then work towards supporting that goal. And then if you can bring in some academics, great. I mean, I could say, and she can say to her son that Andrew Pudawa said, you don't have to like it. That's you just right. have to do it. Right. And it doesn't matter what you go into in life, whether you want to go into engineering or the military or garbage collecting. Right. It doesn't matter. People who can speak and write decently well rise up in professions to more influence, leadership. They, they, can, they can be used by God better to influence other people. The best engineer is an engineer, and he's a great engineer, and that's wonderful, and we need lots of them. But the engineer who can also speak and write engineering ideas clearly and effectively will become more of a leader in whatever scenario they find. So, I don't know, it's it's a tough thing. Maria Montessori thought that you should just, as soon as kids are about 14, just have them work all day, and literally all day, like a full-time job on a farm or something for a few years, mm-hmm. and then come back and look at their academic future. You know, and maybe they say, man, I just totally love working on farms, so I want to learn all of this about how to do that better. Or maybe construction or maybe restauranting, you know. So I I just I just think our whole concept of high school is pretty messed up and it works for some kids and it just doesn't work for others. So if you can finish high school as soon as possible and let this kid get into being an adult, which is what all kids that age want to do primarily anyway, well, maybe it's a GED. Maybe it's uh, you know a dual enrollment. Maybe it's a doctor up the transcript and say, yep, you graduated. I, you know, I don't know all the situation, but there are options to moving forward with life. So I'm going to give... Lisa, a couple of real tangible things that she can do with your great recommendations. And that is, Lisa, if you are homeschooling, look into Lee Benz's transcript solutions. Mm, Andrew, yeah. you use the word term doctoring up. I don't think that's what you really meant. That's because... exactly what I meant. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> Lee Benz, home, uh, is it homescholar.com? Homescholar, yep. And then the other thing is listen to Andrew's talk. Cultivating Language Arts, preschool through high school. And you give some really great suggestions for those high school years that are more integrated, starting their own business, um, joining speech and debate, being a part of drama, where they're not just cracking the books all day long. Wow, that would be really hard for anyone. Right. And what, what kids that age actually want 
deep down more than anything else is real, meaningful, honest-to-God, life-and-death responsibility. And what they crave in that context is working with, side-by-side, and learning from adults in a real-world context. Right. And, you know, John Taylor Gatto kind of points out that is exactly what schools are contrived to prevent from ever happening. So, you know, we have this, you know, this cognitive dissonance between what's good for an older teenager and what the world says that we should do with them. Yep. So, um, you know, I out of the box thinking. Yeah. Well, Andrew, we are out of time. We're not out of questions. Oh, man. Well, so, so listeners, if you want to submit your questions to ask Andrew anything, know that if we can't get to them on the air, like we there's a couple here that we didn't get to, know that a well-qualified customer service team member will get back to you and give you, if not their own best answer, Andrew's best answer that we couldn't get to on the podcast. So, If you would just come in with some yes-no questions, we could get a lot more <laughs> coverage here. Probably not. All right. Well, we'll wait till episode 360. There you go. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.